This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 14th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. What are the costs and benefits of welfare states around the world? James Bartholomew is author of the new Cato book, The Welfare of Nations. We spoke in January. You look at welfare states across the globe. And what are some of the big things that we learn about the major differences and similarities in welfare states around the globe? Uh, well, first of all, you learn that um, there are an awful lot of similarities. Each country thinks it's unique, but um, I found over and over again it was like Groundhog Day and that uh, you found similar things happening. You found mass unemployment. You found disability benefits going up. Uh, you, you, you found health care that was either getting too expensive or else was rationed. So uh, the same things came up again and again, but there are obviously huge variations. And uh, you, know, you might have, for example, people, elderly people will be still very frequently looked after by their children in Spain, but very, very rarely in, in the Netherlands. You know, so you, there were some huge contrasts and the rate of single parenting, still very low in Japan and very high in America. When people point to European welfare states, I think most famously Bernie Sanders likes to point to uh, these European welfare states as being incredibly successful. What 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 would you tell him? Uh, first of all, I'd have to recover from the astonishment that he anyone would think that they were so successful. I mean, there are pockets of success. I think you could say that the the German and Swiss uh, systems of healthcare were 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 not bad. Um, but there's so much that's gone wrong. I mean, in in Sweden, for example, 10% of working age people are on disability benefits. That compares to 2% in Japan. Now, either the people in Japan are very bravely going on working despite their disabilities, or else people in Sweden are imagining their disabilities. And I think it's the latter. And so, uh, I mean, that's a huge waste of humanity. We've got... I mean, if you how, how can anyone look at Spain or or Italy and think that their welfare states haven't been disastrous? They've encouraged mass unemployment. Uh, it's it's um, France has ten percent official unemployment and probably more than that in disability benefits and early retirement. I mean, the, these are countries with very low growth. I mean, one one and a half percent over the last decade. I mean, these are. Uh, these are things we want to get away from, not go towards. And I mean, the, the Britain, the healthcare service, is the the worst performing. I mean, I have a chapter on healthcare, looking at different different performances of different countries. And my own country consistently is an outlier of, of being a bad performer despite its relative wealth. Before we started recording, you mentioned Poland as being a uh, country that is not particularly generous with respect to its. Uh, programs to uh, help the people in that country, but also that they are the only country that you looked at that had this sort of explicit uh, financial break on debt. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's um, 60% is the is the, the limit of uh, debt to GDP, and uh, it's not allowed to go beyond that. Um, they have their big problem is, is is different from most countries. It is uh, pensions and um, uh, and so that they're struggling to pay overly generous pensions that were given to teachers and uh, and to um, policemen, the army, 
they're um, they're struggling to deal with that, and is gradually that's coming down. But the the fact they're having to spend so much on the social security or pensions means that they have got very little to spend on anything else. This sixty percent provides a constraint, and all around the world, advanced countries are getting higher and higher debt. And it's, it really threatens the whole sustainability of, of these welfare states. And I do think that all countries should adopt a similar thing. They should all adopt a target of having a debt-to-GDP ratio, and they should require each government either to stay within it or to make progress towards it. So at your event uh, today, Will Wilkinson made the argument, and I think it's, it's definitely worth considering, which is that uh, welfare, uh, these programs that are meant to help people in those countries, the recipients of the benefits are made better off because they're receiving the benefits, which seems to be left out of a lot of analyses uh, or when you talk about these these issues that the first order effect is one that is actually not considered that often. Uh, well, it, it's the obvious effect. If it's not considered very often, it's, it's because it's standing, staring you in the face, and it's, you take that for granted. But the the second order effect, but, should, but that but that effect itself has to be should be balanced against other effects. Yes, I mean you know the. The if you give somebody somebody comes to you and says uh, uh, hello I'm uh, I'm unemployed I've got a baby I I, I haven't, can't get a job give me some money okay if you give them some money they're better off straight off that but if you go for example as I did to the benefit office in Singapore they won't say to you they won't give you some money they will say to you where's your family um, uh, and they say oh they they're not keen to have me in well that's bad luck you've got to go to your family. Uh, they haven't got any money. Oh, don't they? Okay. In that case, let's see a document that describes exactly how much. We want permission to look at their bank accounts. Uh, we expect you to look after yourself. And that, that, uh, the, the result is that that woman does not have an incentive to become a single mother in the first place, and she does have an incentive to get work because she is going to be only great reluctance and in great need will the state give her any money. She will therefore get her life together and maybe avoid getting in that situation in the first place. These are second and third order events which are so big that they vastly dwarf the first order effects, especially when you consider there are alternative ways in which people can be supported. The state should not be and is not the only way in which people are supported. They can be supported by their family. They can be supported by charity. They can be supported by mutual societies, as they have been in the past. These are better forms of support which encourage work and encourage people to get their lives together instead of becoming uh, learning dependents, as it were. How do you make that comparison? The, the, how do you compare the, the first order effect with the second and third order effects? Well, you know, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not capable of a mathematical equation. Sure. Um, so, um, but if you consider the people who, I mean, the unemployment rate in Spain is over 20%. It is inconceivable to me that uh, if you uh, the, 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 that this this second order effect of creating mass long term unemployment, which we must not underestimate how damaging that is to, to a human being and their psychology and their sense of worth, and not to mention GDP, um, that it's inconceivable to me that that is is not more important than the immediate transfer of some money from one taxpayer to somebody else who's not working. And I, I, I think the other forms of support, the damage done in that way is so immense. It's impossible to, to, to put a, a number on it, but it is immense. 
Uh, and as a result of it, people are, are miserable, alienated. They're more likely to turn to crime. Uh, the ill effects reverberate around and around. Some of the proposals that you put forth for, uh, I guess, mitigating negative impacts associated with welfare states uh, have a fair degree of compulsion associated with them. What are those proposals? Well, um, I'll give you some of them. I, I, I propose that... Um, I mean, I, I propose that we want to have compulsory health savings accounts, as they do in Singapore. Now, I, I put to, to the same point that you're making to, to the, the deputy prime minister. I said, this is compulsion. And he said, the difference between this system and your system in Britain is not compulsion. You are compelled to pay taxes, which pay for health care. So the difference is not in the amount of compulsion. It is in where the money goes. In our system... The, in, the, in the Singapore system, where they have compulsory health savings, it goes into your own account, which you can spend as you wish. You can save it. You can you cannot spend money on an MRI scam because you've got a headache. You can save money. You can spend it wisely on your health care. And as a result, you, you, the cost of health care in, in Singapore is one of the lowest in the advanced world. And it's, it's, as far as one can tell, it's pretty good as well. Uh, so the element of compulsion is there with us the whole time. It exists already. I don't wish to add to it, but it, 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 it just want to channel it in a way that's likely to bring the best results. In the United States, um, working age men are not working in massive numbers. To what extent has uh, the American style welfare state contributed to that? Oh, uh, entirely. I mean, it's um, uh, the welfare. I mean, we, we, I feel like we've been here before because this is what happened in Britain. We had the same problem. The participation rate, which is what you're referring to, of, of, of white men of working age, participation in, in the labor market uh, went down and, uh, and also of women. It, it was damaged by, for women too. And we, amazingly, uh, it got worse and worse and worse. I mean, it's taken 25 years to, to face up to this problem. And I hope it doesn't take America that long. But... Uh, eventually, we got a government which had a, a, um, a, a minister in charge of, uh, of this area who, who was determined to help people and, and push people into work. In, in Germany, they call it help and hassle. And a lot of these people are people who are on disability benefits, for example. We've had huge increases in disability benefits in Britain in the 1980s and 1990s. That contributed to it. And uh, you've... Got, if you take any benefit, I mean, the American system is incredibly complex and diverse, but if you, no welfare benefit should be given to anybody unless they're extremely disabled without uh, in both encouragement to work and uh, pushing into work. Because otherwise they live on that for the rest of their lives and their lives are ruined. They become alienated and they become antisocial. So well, there's a risk of becoming antisocial. So it is vitally important. And we've seen this around the world. I mean, we've seen this in the Netherlands. We've seen this in Germany. We saw it to some extent in, with regard to single mothers in, in, uh, in America after the, uh, the Clinton Act. So we know it can be done. It's politically difficult. It takes determination by some individuals, but it can be done, and you can save people's lives as a result. Do we see similar impacts, that is to say, of uh, working age uh, people simply not working in countries like Sweden or Norway? 
Absolutely. I mean, in, in uh, Sweden has the highest rate of uh, people on disability benefits among working age people. It has 10% of people. It is it's incredible that a country full of fit, athletic people uh, should have a 10% disability rate for working age people. That compares for 2% in Japan. So one of them is either the Japanese are bravely working on through, uh, through terrible disabilities or else the Swedish people are largely imagining a lot of illnesses. What are some specific reforms you propose for the United States? Because it, it does seem fairly complicated. The system seems overlapping and Byzantine and uh, complicated for people to, to comply with the system, to qualify for benefits. It's almost a, a job in many cases to keep benefits uh, coming. What proposals do you have for the U.S. specifically? Well, I, I don't have specific proposals for the United States, and I'm reminded by a comment made by Terry Moe in, in California about Obamacare, who basically said it's a god-awful mess because the way the system is, you can't do anything else. And uh, I think the, uh, I mean, I, you would understand, you and your American listeners would know much better what the American problems are in terms of getting things done. But you have seemed to have, to me, to have various uh, lobby groups, which are quite powerful. Uh, you have you know, person in one set, senator has a health care insurance company in his state, and he doesn't want anything to do that might hurt that state. And, and, and then you have the difference between the federal and the, and the state uh, powers. Um, it is extremely di difficult to manipulate. I mean, we're lucky in Britain, and it's a more or less one unified state, and a government can change anything it likes almost at the stroke of a pen. I think Milton Friedman referred to that once. So I, I can't solve the American Constitution for you right now, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, I can only tell you what the end result you want to get. You want to get to the position where everybody is helped and hassled into work if they're on benefit, and that will improve their lives and improve the, the, the outcomes for everybody. James Bartholomew is author of the new Cato book, The Welfare of Nations. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.